everyone. Today's another filler episode of me introducing some of the most important musical figures who influenced my own musical journey. Last episode focused on the impact that Stephen Sondheim had on me as a composer, lyricist, and an overall storyteller. Today's individual is slightly different than Sondheim, but I think this individual taught me something else that not many has taught me in the past. You're listening to Musical Tangents. Welcome. So when I began to take piano lessons seriously, when I got introduced to my piano mentor in college, I approached her stating that I've not taken piano lessons before and that I didn't know much about music, including sight reading, classical pieces, and so on. Naturally, she began to teach me various ways to practice, learn, and memorize different classical pieces. She also taught me the basic fundamentals of piano writing in terms of what is comfortable, what's doable, and what's not doable or comfortable, etc. At the time, I was only listening to any recordings of pieces that I was attracted to, such as Uh, Pictures at an Exhibition by Mussorgsky, Rachmaninoff's Second Piano Concerto, uh, Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, and Shostakovich's Second Piano Concerto. These were recorded by many pianists, and I listened to whatever I could find on YouTube. She then introduced me to a particular pianist that I was not aware of at the time, and that was the pianist named Vladimir Horowitz. Vladimir Horowitz was considered one of the greatest pianists of the 20th century. Born on October 1st, 1903, Vladimir was the youngest son of the Horowitz family. Although he was known to have been born in Kiev, many speculate that he was born in Berdichev, as the city was historically known for being the significant cultural center for Eastern European Jewish population. Vladimir's family was wealthy until he uh, until he was in his teenage years. He was he always recalled having many nannies who spoke primary different primary languages. One spoke English, one spoke French, and one spoke German. Though he was never considered a child prodigy, he showed interest in piano when he broke the windows and injured his hands when he was only three years old. His mother, who was a former pianist, recognized his interest and began to take him to lessons when he was old enough to learn piano. His entire family was musical, uh, according to him. His uncle was a close friend and a protege of the famous composer Alexander Scriabin. Through his uncle's connection, young Vladimir played for Scriabin when he was only 11 or 12 years old. That's when Scriabin told Vladimir's mother to teach of all teach him of all art forms, including visual arts, literature, theater, and so on. And in the early twenties, Russian Empire uh, was about to be shaken with the October Revo- Revolution, leading to ultimately the Civil War. His family lost all wealth, and Vladimir had to play various recitals and concerts to pay for their bills. 
Seeing the country's unstable condition, Vladimir, with the famous violinist Nathan Milstein, decided to leave Russia and go to Germany. His debut outside of Russia was an immediate success to an extent that he was selected to even participate the first first Chopin competition representing Russia. However, as he was successful, he decided to continue his route as a concert pianist without attending any competitions. And later on, he became a close friend of Rachmaninoff and became known for his signature interpretations of Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto, Chopin's pieces, and Liszt's B minor sonata. The first time I heard Horowitz was when I saw the video of him performing his dazzling arrangement of Carmen's theme. Ever since then, I was searching for other performances that he may have done. I think the word mesmerized really captures how I was after watching and listening to his performance for the first time. Why is he the one of the influential figures in my musical journey, though? Isn't he just a performer, a pianist who didn't compose any new ideas, so to speak? Well, this is where I think I have to explain the difference in interpretation and composition. Many already know that interpretation and composition are two different things, but I really believe that many struggle to understand that one person may not be the best at both. Let me give you an example. When Vladimir Horvitz performed the third piano concerto by Rachmaninoff in front of Rachmaninoff himself, Rachmaninoff famously took his own third concerto out of his repertoire list. Allegedly, he even went as far as to say that Horvitz played the piece better than uh, that he composed, better than Rachmaninoff himself. This is not to say that I think Rachmaninoff's own recording of his own third concerto is bad, but it's different. I happen to prefer Horvitz's recording of it, and so discovering Horvitz's interpretations of Rachmaninoff's pieces was exciting. I admired Rachmaninoff's musical ideas. Uh, Another example would be Ravel was not particularly known to have been the best pianist for his pieces. He allegedly, allegedly, I don't know how true this is, but he apparently did not have enough technical abilities on piano to necessarily interpret the best he can of any of the pieces that he wrote. Um... What is always surprising to many people who love classical music is the fact that I disliked some of the popular composers in the past, however. Um, Around the time that I was introduced to Horvitz, I disliked the legendary Polish pianist composer Chopin, and I didn't particularly enjoy Mozart either. I said to many at the time that I preferred post-romantic period composers like Ravel, Shostakovich, Prokofiev, Stravinsky, etc. After listening to Horvitz's interpretations of those composers that I disliked, I started to understand why they were considered geniuses that they were. One thing that I really liked about Horvitz's interpretations of Chopin's pieces was the different senses of sentimentality. The emotion that people often correlate with Chopin's pieces is sadness, I think. The only issue is that not all Chopin's pieces are sad, or I don't believe so. 
And sadness is such a basic, instinctive, emotional response that doesn't capture most people's state of mind. The sensibility that Horvitz had may feel like a lack of emotion to some, but it is undeniable that he his sound evokes a certain set of emotions that I was not aware of when I listened to others' interpretations of Chopin's music. This is where I think it's really important to understand the role of a performer. He really knew how to sell the pieces to the audience as to why this piece was a good piece. So his selection of repertoire was as equally as important as the original ideas that the composers had intended for those pieces. And another thing that I really liked about Horvitz's ways was his ways of making piano sound diverse. Now, there are definitely other pianists who achieve this. Uh, famously, Alfred Cortel, Rachmaninoff himself, Rubinstein, Richter, and many others had the effect of making piano sound like its own orchestra. But there is something about this gateway drug, if you will. The, the, the sound that Horvitz had was so diverse and dynamic and colorful that I just couldn't resist from listening to his pieces. Another strong feat that Horvitz always had was that he would choose carefully what would be flexible and what would not be flexible in interpreting the scores of another composer. For example, when playing the Chopin's famous first ballade, which opens with this grandiose introduction section, many would play that section including some of the rubato, which means that you're stealing time, so it, it's, it's somewhat out of time from what Chopin had originally written. But, for some reason, Horvitz would play it very straightforwardly, keeping the rhythmic integrity, unlike what I've heard from many others. But when he would play the dreamy middle section before the big A major theme of the ballad, he would use rubato between his left hand and his right hand just ever so slightly, creating that slight syncopation, seemingly creating a layer of sound. He would do this according to how he felt the piece should sound. His playing has always been so interesting, exciting, and yet oddly predictable in the best sense. His playing, in other words, made a logical and emotional sense to me. Ever since I've been introduced to Horowitz, I've come to learn more about him naturally, and the essential element of Horvitz as a pianist probably was that he wanted to be a composer-pianist like his idol, Rachmaninoff. Unfortunately, or fortunately for us, he just had to bear the financial responsibility once the revolution broke out, of the, broke out in the Soviet Union, which pushed him to be a pianist rather than spending more time as a composer. So instead of trying to compose his original pieces which allegedly he composed several that are hidden away from the public, he wrote many transcriptions and arrangements to some of the pieces that were not originally composed for the solo piano. 
I think his approaching his approach in interpreting others' work also is derived from his desire to be a composer. He approaches Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto and maybe his second piano sonata as the composer would interpret them. He was not playing just for himself, but he but for others who were sitting in, in the audience. And for some, his playing would be the first and the last time listening to that piece. His playing might have been the introduction and might have been the last time for them to get access to the uh, to the piece. So he understood the importance of performing in front of the audience. Therefore, he played his souls out no matter what piece he would play in public. The audience was the final collaborator, and sometimes they disagreed. And yet, he played what he felt was right emotionally and logically. I think the best way to elaborate on this is simply letting you listen to his recording here. What you're about to listen to is a bootleg recording done by an audience member in 1980 when Horvitz performed in Michigan. Unfortunately, there has never been an official recording of Horvitz playing the uh, solo piano transcription of Fritz Kreisler's Libeslied by Rachmaninoff. I think this recording might illustrate why I have always been so fascinated by his performance and interpretations of pieces probably better than my words ever can. Thank you. 
What a recording that is. I mean, it's just an amazing recording. I know the recording quality probably was just poor, but this is one time that I can confidently say that the quality of the recording didn't matter. Now, something a little different. Interestingly, I think I have heard something similar to this from another influence of mine. Stephen Sondheim famously claimed that he would ask so many questions to his collaborators, who were mainly the first creator of the story, the libretto, that towards the end of finishing each musical, Sondheim himself knew the details of each libretto better than his collaborators who came up with the story's characters and the plot. I remember bringing my first composition to my piano professor for her to sight-read it for me since I couldn't really play it well the first time. And I remember her pointing out things that I didn't even know that was there. How is this possible? Well, just because someone wrote the dialogue for actors doesn't always mean that they can recite those dialogues better than the professional actors who are trained to interpret the works. Otherwise, why do creators hire other people? Why not do everything by yourself? Uh, And this is where I think it might cause a little bit of debate and a little bit of discussion, maybe a heated one, where I am willing to say that there were times where the performers actually knew the piece better than the creators ever did. That might be one of the reasons why they were so passionate. Otherwise, why do we still listen to and play classical music? You know, there. Uh, I think there's a um, preliminary rounds of Chopin competition happening right now, or at least I thought I saw it. I don't know, maybe not. But if that's the case, that's I don't know. However many Chopin competitions we have, but it happens once every four years or once every five years, and there are still people who's playing Chopin's pieces. If they thought if they didn't think that they had something new to offer, uh, something new in terms of insights to offer to the audience, to the listeners, by playing Chopin's pieces that have been played by countless other pianists, why do we play them? You know, there are people who have done so in the past. As a matter of fact, Rachmaninoff was known as one of the greatest pianists in the 20th century as well. Composers like Franz Liszt, Ludwig van Beethoven, uh, Mozart, even Johann Sebastian Bach were known for their interpretations of their works. So there is no denying that there are still creators who are the best interpreters of their works. With Horowitz, ever since I first heard him play various pieces, I always felt like he was shining light on different factors that others may not have. Interestingly, people who love classical music play similar pieces all the time. We learn Beethoven's Sonata No. 14, which is commonly known as the Moonlight Sonata, because we just love that music. It doesn't matter how many people are capable of learning that immortal notes that the composers from the past have engraved on the paper. But it matters that your playing has to offer something new for listeners, especially if you're playing for the audience. Otherwise, why would they choose to listen to the same piece over and over again? 
played exactly the same way. And that's what Horvitz did for many years. When he played, he played for the audience. And in reality, that's what any good artists do. They mix what's personal to them, project it to the audience to share the moment, and the audience receives that and reacts to it in a positive emotional response. Horowitz taught me to listen and pay attention to details that other composers have written, even if they might not be so obvious, but he also taught me to have my own emotional context to any musical pieces that I learn, listen to, or just read. My hope is not that Horowitz is the only one who does that for you, but rather that you have someone, an artist, who does that for you. Horowitz happens to be the one that who have done that to me, <laughs> but it could be someone else. That's why I wanted to share about Horowitz, and I still encourage all of you to check his recordings out. They're just too good to not check them out. But I think you need to find artists who inspire you, who motivate you to go forward, progress in whatever you want to do. If you want to play piano, you need to listen to recordings that make you feel like that's the level that I need to get to. If you are a videographer or a filmmaker, you need to find a filmmaker or a videographer who inspire you to make your footages, to make your videos, to make the composition of the imageries better than what you're already doing. If we don't have a goal of artistry, I think that's where we become stale, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to become stale. So that's why I wanted to share the uh, the great pianist Horvitz. Um, and again, he's not the only pianist that I listen to, but he definitely was one of the m- most influential pianists uh, who have introduced me to other composers that I didn't really care for at the time. And I think that's really the beautiful part of it is that some actors are so good that they make you fall in love with Shakespeare. Some painters are so great that they make you fall in love with a certain way, certain colors that you didn't realize was beautiful. And Horvitz did that to me musically. And I think that's why he was such an influential figure in my musical journey. So, until next time, enjoy music, enjoy arts, and then I'll talk to you soon. Bye!